Hey, ghouls and gals. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Cat Commander, and welcome to 2022. I have some interesting tales coming for you this year, and I'm excited to truly get started. Some trigger warnings before today's case. There is sexual assault and rape. And with that, let's jump in. Today, we're encountering evil with the Grim Sleeper. Over a 25-year period, a serial killer prowled in the South Central area of Los Angeles, California, murdering young black women. During this time, California was overwhelmed with the crack epidemic and around 20 active serial killers. The City of Angels quickly became known as the City of Death. Don't let that take away the fact that these missing women were black, poor, and some of them were sex workers or drug users. They were deemed disposable by the LAPD, and this allowed evil to take over. Born August 30th, 1952, Lonnie Franklin could barely read or write, and he suffered from frequent migraines. Due to these factors, he fell behind in school. His father gave him an interest in cars, and he was good with his hands. He went on to become a mechanic and thrived, but ran into trouble with law enforcement when he was caught twice for stealing cars at just 16 years old. The following year, at 17, he was arrested for burglary. Because of this, his father was worried and tells his son to enlist in the military to clean up his act. In the spring of 1974, Lonnie was stationed in Stuttgart, Germany, where he worked as a cook. Although he was in a new environment, his crime streak didn't end, and on April 16, 1974, in the late evening, he and two others from base, they attempted to kidnap and rape a woman, but she got away. Only an hour later, they asked for directions from a 17-year-old girl and kidnapped her at knife point. They took turns assaulting and raping her, and during this horrific attack, photos were being taken. The victim flirted with Lonnie in order to get them caught, and she even convinced them to drive her home. She then gives Lonnie her phone number, hoping he'd call and get himself caught. Shockingly, this fucking idiot actually called the following day and made plans to meet with her. But when he arrived, he was met by police. He was convicted on the rape, kidnapping, and attempted rape and kidnapping, and he only received three years and four months, but he actually served less than a year. On July 24, 1975, he was dishonorably discharged from the army, and the then 23-year-old moved back to LA and started a new life. By this time, he was married with two children, but his family obviously doesn't want to be tied to this. So out of respect, I will leave out their names. His wife of 32 years was completely unaware of the mantra she was married to. He disguised himself as a trusting family man, but he had trouble settling down with the job. 
He hopped around for a while before settling working as a garage attendant for the fucking LAPD. Which, things like this are always so strange to me. It's a common theme for many serial killers to work closely with the police or even in politics, and I'm talking prior to them becoming murderers. Um, like, they're right under their nose. It's honestly unbelievable. He didn't work with the LAPD for too long. In 1982, 30-year-old Lonnie Franklin moved to the sanitation department to work as a garbage man. This job would lead him to have extensive knowledge of alleys and hidden areas in the neighborhood, even the time the garbage trucks would stop by to pick up the trash. In August of 1985, 29-year-old waitress and mother of two, Deborah Jackson was hanging out with a friend and was last seen leaving the friend's home and going on the bus on Imperial Highway. It is unknown where she was headed, but a few days later, on Gage Street, her body was discovered under some trash in an alley. She had been sexually assaulted, and she was shot in the chest three times. During the autopsy, it was found that the killer stood above her as she lied on the floor. At the time of her discovery, she had no ID, so it took some time to identify who she was. Then, just over a year later, in August of 1986, Henrietta Wright went missing and was later found dead under a mattress in an alley near the 2500 block of West Vernon Avenue in Hyde Park, Los Angeles. She had multiple gunshot wounds to the torso and she was gagged. The police deemed this as a random act and didn't pursue the case any further. The community was outraged that these cases were so quickly dismissed and black women were turning up dead in alleys and no real investigation was being launched. After public outcry, the LAPD started seeing the pattern of a serial killer targeting black women, some of them sex workers. The killer was dubbed the Southside Slayer and at least 13 sex workers between 1983 and 1985 were discovered. They were known as the Strawberry Murders, referring to a strawberry being slang for a woman who exchanges sex for drugs. Back in September of 1985, the LAPD held a press conference and asked the public for leads. They were heavily criticized for their failure to alert the South Central community to the possibility of a serial killer much earlier. Activist Margaret Prescott and other community activists held weekly protests outside the LAPD headquarters to pressure the department into forming a task force to investigate these murders. She and others contrasted the apparent lack of police interest in the South Central murders, with significant attention being given to the investigation of the Night Stalker, also known as Richard Ramirez, a serial killer who targeted women in upscale Los Angeles neighborhoods and in San Francisco. She accused the LAPD of indifference to the deaths of women who were poor, black, and or used drugs or were sex workers. Of course, the LAPD denied this, but we all know that's a load of shit and they are prioritizing who they deemed important. By January of 1986, there was finally a task force put together to solve these murders. They were known as the Southside Slayer Task Force, but by 1986, the cases were still under investigation. Prescott formalized her group of activists as a community called the Black Coalition Fighting Black Serial Murders and in March of 1986 pressured the Los Angeles City Council to increase the reward money they were offering for information 
it went from $10,000 to $25,000. By late 1986, conflicting motives and suspect descriptions caused the investigators to doubt their original theory. They claimed the evidence suggested that there were several serial killers in the South Central area murdering black women. The South Side Slayer Task Force began to wound down in the late 1980s because of expense and manpower being used. So basically, they acknowledged there was a serial killer or serial killers and said, Fuck it, we don't care to spend the money on these people. So Lonnie continued to murder women. And on January 10th, 1987, someone called in to say they witnessed a fucking body being dumped at 1346 East 56th Street in the alley. He said he saw a man throw a woman out of a van, threw a gas container on top of her, and it turned out to be 23-year-old Barbara Ware, who was sexually assaulted and then shot in the chest. By this point, the police have matched bullets from this crime to previous cases, but were no closer to solving who was responsible. Two more women would go missing in 1987, Bernita Sparks and Mary Lowe, both 26 years old. Bernita was last seen on April 15th after telling her mother she was going to go grab some cigarettes from the store. Her body was later found the following day in a trash bin. She had been sexually assaulted, beaten, strangled, and shot in the chest. And on Halloween night, Mary went to a party and her body was discovered the next day in an alley. She too had been shot in the chest. By November of 1988, the police had solid evidence of seven murders that were connected. Then on November 19, 1988, the Southside Slayer went hunting for another victim, a 30-year-old mother of two in Nitra, Washington. She was walking home on Normandy Avenue and a man in an orange pinto pulled up next to her. He asked her if she needed a ride because of all the violence going up and going on in the neighborhood. She thought about it and said yes, which is super fucked up. You are the violence in the neighborhood and he preyed on the fear to take advantage of her. Once inside, Lonnie insisted that they ride down 81st Street and he said he had to stop at his home to go grab some money. He went into the house and then got back into the car and continued to drive. Without warning, he pulled out a gun, pointed it to her chest, and squeezed the trigger. She recalls feeling pain in her chest, not really processing that she had just been shot. She started to pass out and begs him to take her to the hospital. Instead, he parks the car and starts taking fucking pictures of her, and then he rapes her. He then proceeded to shove her out of his moving vehicle, thinking she's dead. Obviously, murder is fucking wild, but the way he literally disposes of his victims in garbage cans and on the side of the road really shows his complete disregard for the victims. Anitra manages to get to a nearby friend's house and was rushed to UCLA Medical Center. She was able to describe what happened to her and all the other victims before her. She actually survived even though she lost 20% of her blood. And the bullet recovered from her body was a match to the seven victims before her. She gave a good description of her attacker to the sketch artist. However, a black man in his 30s of average height 
was just too broad. Once news got out that there was a survivor, the killings came to a halt. She saw his face, the car he was driving, and so Lonnie decided to lay low to avoid detection. By 1992, Lonnie received an injury to his arm and completely stopped working. He claimed disability benefits and he went back to blending into the neighborhood as a good father, husband, and neighbor. 13 years would pass before he would resurface. In 2001, a 15-year-old girl, Princess Berthemue, went missing. She had a very difficult upbringing and was in foster care. At the time, she had one of the worst cases of child abuse in LA. She even spent months in the hospital recovering from the extensive abuse. And she was just a toddler when she entered a new foster family where she had to relearn how to talk and walk again. In this new home, her and her sister Samara thrived. But once her loving foster mother died, she was placed in a home in South Central and separated from her sister. She was having trouble at home and would run away. She ran away sometime in December 2001, and her nude body was discovered in an alley on March 19, 2002. She had been strangled and beaten. The DNA found that this was connected to the previous cases, and the LAPD realized the killer was back. This is when he was dubbed the Grim Sleeper, and his hiatus was over. All of these cases are extremely upsetting, but this young girl just never had a chance, and for her life to end like this is honestly just truly devastating. Just over a year later, a woman's body was found on July 11, 2003, once again in an alley, but like Princess Berthemue, she was strangled and sexually assaulted. The woman was 35-year-old Valerie McCorvey. It was initially believed that her boyfriend was responsible, but DNA connected Princess Berthemue and this case together. The police figured that the killer switched to beating and strangling to further torture his victims. By 2006, the Grim Sleeper was still unidentified, but Detective Cliff Shepard was determined to solve the case, but not before another body would be identified on January 1st, 2007. It was Janicia Peters. Her body was in the location where Bernita Sparks was found 20 years earlier. Her body was discovered by a man looking for food in the trash. She was stuffed in a garbage bag and she had been shot in her back. It wasn't until April that a DNA match had been found to link the case to nine previous murders. While reviewing past evidence, it came to light that the 911 call back in January of 1987 about the discovery of Barbara Ware had to be the killer. The caller had highly detailed evidence and forensics determined that in order for a person to see all of what the caller described, they'd have to be right up close and personal. Not only that, but the nearest payphone was a block away. Even the fact that the killer spoke so calmly were all red flags. Despite all this evidence and the reward money being at $500,000, no more leads came about. Then, familial DNA, which is a controversial tool 
that is used to identify people and connect them to crimes. It works by running the DNA you already have in the system and provides a very close match, like a family member. So, the forensics team ran the DNA from the crime scenes, and in July 2010, they got a hit on a man called Christopher Franklin who was arrested in 2009 for weapons possession. It turned out that not only was his DNA a familial match, but the match was to his father, Lonnie Franklin. They cross-referenced that with Lonnie's current location and where he was back in the 80s. Before the arrest was made, they needed more solid evidence. The police dressed up as waitstaff to collect Lonnie's DNA from a slice of pizza crust and a napkin, and that's when they made the arrest. On July 7, 2010, Lonnie Franklin was arrested. The Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office charged him with 10 counts of murder, one count of attempted murder, and a special circumstance of allegations of multiple murders. It came out that Lonnie was taking photos during his sexual assaults and while they were already dead. On December 16, 2010, the LAPD released 180 photos of women found in Franklin's home after an unsuccessful attempt to identify the individuals and possible victims. In all, investigators found over a thousand photos and videos showing mostly black women and teenagers nude or in sexual positions. The images are believed to date back 30 years. Due to all these photos, it is believed that Franklin is a suspect in six more killings. The police were investigating two of the six as potential victims during the 14-year break he took. It is believed that actually during this time, he was still committing murder. Some of the photos included women that are still missing and their bodies have never been recovered. Due to that, they weren't able to pin him for the crimes, but it is suspected that he did kill them. It is even believed that he's responsible for the murder of Thomas Sylvester Steele. He wasn't charged for it because of lack of evidence, but it's believed that this man discovered his identity and that he was murdering women and he killed him so he would never be able to tell. On May 5th, 2016, after nearly three months of trial, the jury deliberated and Franklin was found guilty on all counts. During his sentence hearing on May 12th, 2016, it came out that there may be four additional victims and he may have been murdering people as far back as 1976. They didn't want to delay the case any longer, and so he didn't get those charges, but he did get sentenced to death. The LAPD believes that he may be responsible for 30 or more murders. On March 28, 2020, Lonnie Franklin was found dead in a cell. He only served about three and a half years. His cause of death was still pending to the results of an autopsy. However, there were no signs of trauma. As of 2021, his cause of death and the results of the autopsy have not been publicly released. But what do you think happened? Was he murdered? Were there more victims? 
If you like what you hear, be sure to give me a follow at encountering underscore evil on Instagram. Hit the bell so you never miss an episode. Stay tuned. And don't forget to look behind you.